Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. Hey everyone, Michelle here. I'm so excited to let you know about Freedom Model International Membership. Get support as you deprogram from the 12 steps and the shackles of addiction recovery. For a low monthly membership fee, you get the Freedom Model online program, which includes our books, our audiobooks, workbooks, and all the additional lessons. You also get the Freedom Model for the Family online program as well. You will get a live members-only two-hour question and answer webinar with Mark and myself the last Wednesday of every month. And each week, we're going to add a new video lesson. We call this the What We Learned This Week series. Lastly, we also have the Freedom Model International monthly newsletter, where we're going to tackle the current events and the latest research for you. All this for just $39.95 per month. You can stay a member for as long as you need, and you can suspend or cancel your subscription whenever you're ready. Go to online.thefreedommodel.org to sign up today. Hey, everybody. Hi. I'm Mark Sheeran. This is Michelle Dunbar, and uh, this is the Addiction Solution Podcast. Um, so we're going to talk today about can you be happy all the time? And because we got a post on our group that was really, really a, a great, really great. Yeah, great discussion. And this is something that comes up in classes with people when I'm teaching them the freedom model all the time, you know, because we talk about the positive drive principle, the fact that we're motivated by happiness or some variation of happiness all the time. And uh, and then people almost invariably bring up the the idea that their emotions happen to them, that they feel out of control in a certain way about how they feel sometimes. And uh, I think as human beings, we all understand that feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, for me, it's a... You know, mindfulness is is a constant practice mm -hmm. um, to, yeah. So what this person questioned was, we say in the book that emotions don't happen to you. They basically happen by you. Um, and so he was challenging that. And I think that was a really great challenge. Um, you know, he basically said, I can get good exercise. I can get good sleep. Um, everything can be going right in my life. And then I just sometimes get in the mood. That's right. Now, uh, by the way, it's thunderstorming here. So it's <laughs> going to get dark. Sometimes very dark out. Actually, it's very dark. right and now. And I have the window open. So if lightning and thunder starts striking, I might have to get up and shut Close the window. The window. <laughs> but it's hot. It's hot in here too. Because <laughs> yeah. I can't run the AC while we're doing the podcast. Yeah. So, so a little <laughs> trick going on here. All right. Okay. So, so do you want me to read my I, answer? I, I want you to read what they said first. Okay. And then read your answer. I just got through chapter 18, lesson one. Hmm. I'm skeptical about emotions don't happen to you. I've always believed emotions we don't, I've always believed emotions we don't have direct control over like a light switch. So in other words, he believes that you don't have control over them like a light switch, which I agree with. 
They're influenced by our mind, our thoughts, yes, but also body, environment, and other factors, I imagine. So we could exercise, get good sleep, and think positively about our situation that might make us feel happier. But I don't know a single person who's happy all the time. If someone mastered this positive interpretation thing, I still think they would have low moods, emotions, because it's parts of being human to feel low on occasion. I know there has been times where I felt sad when my mind has been very quiet. And I'm not even sure why I'm sad, for example, because I have no sad or negative thoughts. Positively interpreting this shouldn't do anything for my emotions since my situation is fine. I perceive everything to be fine and yet still feel low. I might have misunderstood something. I'm open to be challenged on this. I I, I answered it. Um, and But I you know, we always, you get to think about it longer. And so I have more, we have more thoughts on this, um, but it's such a great question. And there was a great discussion in our group about it. Um, really insightful stuff that people were writing. Um, and um, do you want me to read my answer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm writing some stuff down. I said, you're absolutely right that no one is happy all the time, but perhaps this is largely due to the ever-changing circumstances of our lives and how we interpret them. Sometimes it will seem as if a mood hits me out of the blue. But if I stop and think about it, it is usually tied to something. When it's not something big, it may be hard to pinpoint. So it feels random, but it could be I didn't sleep for it well and I'm tired or the weather like today is very gloomy and rainy or I'm feeling slightly off physically. And yes, sometimes hormones play a role. I'm in the middle of menopause. So, you know, <laughs> let's just leave it there. Um, but even then we have some control by being mindful in how we interpret things. And there are those random negative thoughts that seem to come out of nowhere, anxious, self-deprecating, sad, et cetera. Do we invest in them? Do we dismiss them, learn from them, and fix whatever's troubling us? What we do with them matters a whole lot in determining our mood. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that we need to unpack here. And one of the things that that people have a tendency, we conflate things. We take an idea like... Uh, that our emotions don't happen to us. And then people will say, yeah, but I feel bad. And I say, wait a minute, do you feel bad emotionally or do you feel bad physically? And a lot of times we conflate the physical with the mental. And when we do that, one of the things that's, uh, I have uh, chronic back pain, which I think uh, a lot of people talk about, but if you have the genuine pain all the time, it can wear on you. Oh yeah. And, uh, and I've had that since I was 15 years old because I, I wrecked my back in a motorcycle accident. Um, and so, so this idea that I would be happy to have physical pain would be bizarre. Yeah. Or it would mean that I, I like sadomasochism, right? Some, some, some people sorta, like pain. They see sure, pleasure in it. Sure. So I would have to interpret it that way. So uh, in in some cases, people actually see pain as pleasure. So that tells you the power of the mind that you could actually do that. But most people don't. Most people, when they feel pain, they don't like it. And so we have this sort of um, conflation that happens where there's all kinds of circumstances in our physical life that are not good. And it could be you're hungry, you're angry, you're lonely, you're tired or whatever, but we all know that acronym, but, but let's, <laughs> but let's say, let's stick with the physical. So you have, maybe you're in a house you hate, you're in a job you dislike. Maybe the drive to work is, is not very fun and filled with traffic and your car is constantly breaking down. And so you have all these physical things in your life that aren't working to your advantage. 
And so, so what people will say to me is, um, you know, I don't have any control over those things. And in some cases, you really don't have that much control. Maybe you're, you're, you're stuck financially and you got yourself in a pickle. And I guess the reality is most people aren't going to be initially happy with any of those things. So first, before we start any discussion, we have to talk about what is happiness. And happiness may be one day's back pain is less than another day's back pain. And when I have a good day, I call it a good day. When I have a particularly painful day, it sucks. Now, am I am I miserable physically? Sometimes, yep. But even then, I do have the choice of whether I'm going to inflict that misery on the people around me. Am I going to amplify it by talking about it constantly? Am I going to make it worse in my mind than it is, catastrophize? Um, I, the point is, is that happiness is relative. And even in difficult circumstances, uh, it's relative. So here's what's important. There's a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in, in that book, Viktor Frankl is in Auschwitz, the concentration camp, the death camp. And he says the last of man's freedoms is his ability to think positively in bad circumstances, essentially, I'm paraphrasing. Um, that no matter what, even while you're starved, beaten, dehumanized, he had the availability to be free within his mind. Now, if that guy could do that, and mm -hmm. others, many others, thousands of people who had that experience were able to find happiness, relative happiness in those uh, hellish conditions. The point is they weren't blissfully dancing around th the no. same as they would as free people. But, but relatively speaking, so uh, they were happy or they could choose happiness. So it's very important to define happiness in reality that way. Yeah. The other part of this that I didn't talk about, okay, because because you can't just take something out of chapter 18 and it really kind of misses the point of chapter 18. The point of chapter 18 isn't about, you know, emotions. It's just about emotions just don't happen to us. The point of chapter 18 is the fact that many people attribute give alcohol and drugs the powers to change our mood right to make us to happy. make us happier to relax us to do all of these things and the point that we're making in it is if you experience those things while you're drinking alcohol it's not the alcohol that's doing it it's you yeah so it it absolutely reinforces the idea that you make your emotions so that's what we want you to get from that chapter is that is that out pharmacologically speaking alcohol and other drugs anti including antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds right. can't change your mind they can't make you think that a bad event is a good event yeah they're not a crutch that comes in and changes your mood and uh biochemistry doesn't happen it it's it's run by what you're thinking Yes. Okay. Now, um, there, there's research that talks about range of mood and range of mood is that, um, there's a lot of, uh, support for the idea that certain people have a happiness range. Now that's not to say that you can't change your range. Mm -hmm. And I know this because my range of happiness, um, when I was younger was extremely low. I was a fairly negative kid who was fearful 
very, very anxious and fearful, very extremely. I lived in perpetual uh, anxiety and uncomfortability in the world. And I felt like I didn't fit here to the point of suicide attempts. So I would say that at that point in my life, my range of happiness was on the lower end of the scale. Yeah. Right. And it took me about 12 years of mindfulness to really unglue myself from that. Yeah. And um, realize that I could change my mood and be a happier person. I'm going to sneeze because <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I have a similar allergies. Woo. Yeah. They're bad. My, I, my truck was yellow with pollen this morning. <laughs> I'm going to go get a tissue. <laughs> I had a similar experience growing up. I mean, I was a pretty fearful, anxious person. And I did use, um, I did believe alcohol did those things for me. I believed in the magic of drugs. I believed in the magic of alcohol long after I stopped using them. Yeah. You know, yep. and um, I, I learned... I learned in my twenties, I really was researching positive psychology. I saw a therapist briefly who was very big on changing your perspective and who really showed me the amount of control that I have. But even knowing that intellectually, it took me a really long time and I still work at it today um, to mindfully, now sometimes moods hit you out of the blue it's true. Sometimes moods hit you out of the blue and that happens to me. And, but 99% of the time it's, I can, I can trace it to some kind of worry that I have, um, to something physically that's just off. Well, let me jump in there because what you're talking about, I want to talk technically what's happening when that happens. Yeah. So, so when a mood hits you, Right. There's this idea that that and that's what the person was talking about, like for no apparent reason, no reason. It, it, like all of a sudden everything's going great. Yeah. So our mind is a really marvelous thing, but it does have certain ways that it works. And let, let me explain this. So as you go through time in your life, your mind is building context into the future. And what I mean is, as your senses look out and you see a green field, for instance, if you had never seen a green field, let's say you lived in the Negev desert and you had never seen green before, literally, right? And then you walked up and you saw, you got in an airplane and you landed in the lush fields of upstate New York. And you'd go, wow, it's so green I've seen. Now, what's interesting is because you had never seen green, your mind would have to go back to maybe a book you saw or a house that was painted green in the desert or some other context. Now, if you had never seen green, then it would make the comparison of green compared to brown. Right. Okay. Because the mind is constantly, con endlessly looking doing for context, looking and building context. So then green would be compared to the desert. And then the humidity in the air would be compared to the dryness of the air. And then eventually, if you moved to upstate New York and you were in that environment, then you would feel uh, the change of the seasons. And then you would see how the, the orange color of the leaves and then eventually snow. That would be compared to what? The green fields, the orange of fall, and then, oh, snow is colder than those 
things. So my point is, as we move through time, this is literally constantly, constantly happening. Now, in the spaces where we're not actively looking forward, our mind will revert to whatever it knows, and we call that daydreaming. Okay. Now we daydream very quickly when we don't have stimuli in our environment. We don't even realize it's happening. Okay. Because the mind doesn't shut off. It's a perpetual motion machine. It's constantly looking, searching. The positive drive is constantly weaving in its environment. So if you don't give it something to feed on, it's going to go backwards and it will feed on the past and the memories and the memories. And the memory may be a mood. And it is as seamless an experience as you're going to find. All of a sudden, you're like bummed because maybe in the past, your mood, right, range was very low on the scale of happiness. And I, I found that every time I had my mind would race to the past or it would, it would be reminded of the past and something that I'm looking at in the future, I would, I would get sad. Because predominantly my childhood was filled with misery. And so my, I had to literally, literally sometimes vocalize and say, that is not who I am today. Right. I don't, I don't know why I feel this way about something. I'm looking at something beautiful and I'm, I'm making it miserable. And it, it was remarkable. I watch people do this all the time. Yeah. So that's what Michelle is talking about with mindfulness is becoming extremely aware of that process. Now, if you don't understand that that process is happening, as most humans don't, they're not, you know, scientists like we are. Um, what happens is you feel run by, by emotion. You feel like these things just happen to you, but they don't make no mistake. Your mind is this perpetual searching machine. The positive drive is constantly pushing to find something new, but you're going to screw it up like I did by defining your future by your past. And boy, if you're not mindful of that, you will destroy your future. You will make yourself fucking miserable every time moving forward. So if that's your, your, range, yeah, the, the your problem that we see and why these questions come up quite a bit, um, especially for people who we're in a culture now where there's this idea that, I mean, you know, if you're not happy, there's a pill for that. Right. So, so people are supposed to be like, there's this idea that people are supposed to be happy all the time and that your moods run you. And then if you're not happy and positive at every minute of the day, then something clinically is wrong with you. <laughs> that's so, that's so important. Right. Yeah, and, great and point. so, so I, it's, we have to get back to, and I actually interviewed, I used to have this blog talk radio show. And I interviewed this really smart guy. His name is Dr. Alan Francis. And he wrote the book called Saving Normal. Um, it's a good book, by the way. Really great book. And he was the chair for the DSM right up until the four revision. And the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Basically Mental Health Disorders. And so it's, it's the psychiatrist and psychologist Bible. And so he worked on it from the very first one. He was at right all the way through for revision. And he did kind of for and for revision begrudgingly because he told, he was like the psyche, this, the psychiatric and mental health 
system is going in the wrong direction, much like addiction. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what he said was in his book, he said, we are clinicalizing the normal range of human emotions and we're medicalizing them so we can prescribe them medications. And then people, you know, take a temporary emotional state, even a mood and and it's called a mood disorder. It's called a mood disorder. And yeah. and from it goes from being just the normal ebb and flow of human emotion, which by the way can be pretty wide. Massively wide. Yeah, to to being something that now I'm broken. And we see this, you know, the the you know, somebody gets on an antidepressant, it seems to work initially, but then it's not working anymore. So you go back to the doctor and what do they do? They don't stop that and they add another one to it. Yeah. They and then they add pile. another one to it. Yeah. And, and unfortunately it's what the reason is, is because habitual negative thinking literally makes you feel powerless and out of control. And, and especially if you have a substance use problem. So now you have this dual diagnosis, right? Where now you're totally screwed. Yeah. Um, because, because you have a mental health disorder that's causing your addiction, which is causing your mental health disorder, just causing your addiction. And it's this infinite loop and there is no way to escape it. And, and what she's saying is it doesn't have to be that way. No, it's not true. It's, it's not, not, it's not automatic. All right. I want to, I want to say that here. Um, you, you know, so we have all the statistics in the book that that show that that there's no causal relationship. Chapter between, six, yeah. chapter five and six are devoted to this. And so the reason that chapter 18 is so important is for people to know that when, when you feel relief from the substance, when you feel that brief moment of where you're a little bit happier, that's you. Yeah. It's not the drug. It's not the substance. You're doing it. You've taken this substance. You feel a little tickle in your brain. Physical. A physical, physical. little tickle, little, little buzz. Or maybe you don't feel that at all. Maybe you start to feel the relief the moment you take a sip. It hasn't pharmacologically worked on your brain yet. And you feel that relief. Well, that's you. You're doing something that you enjoy. You're anticipating feeling relief. In your mind. In your mind. And that we call an, a placebo effect. Right. And it's right. great. I love the placebo effect. It's pretty fantastic um, until it doesn't work anymore because most people change their mind, change their mind back to their, to their norm, their range yeah. of mode. Um, so, so what's the answer to all this about being happy, all this happiness stuff? Yeah. You know, um, I think that, I think it's important to question yourself and say, do I want to be happier? Yeah. First. And there are a lot of people, there's benefits to remaining the status quo and staying within your mood range. And we all know that curmudgeon old guy who lives his life and he's in his 70s, 80s, or curmudgeon old woman. And uh, with her cats. Yeah. Yeah. I love cats. So <laughs> crazy know, I'm cat not lady. judging. Um, but, <laughs> That'll be me. <laughs> but but they, they, they're not going to change. And they've never changed. And they've always been that sort of, I, my stepdad was like that. He was just a, to get him to laugh was like pulling teeth, you know? Yeah. He lived his whole life that way. And uh, now when they did laugh, they shined, but, but it was rare. And he was perfectly content to be that way. And you know what? That's fair. And yeah. uh, people are allowed to be who they are. Yeah. Um, I, however, was extremely unhappy 
and really, really sad. And I didn't want to be. And I was jealous of the people that lived a, a more um, happy and fulfilled life. So I wanted to change. So it took me real mindfulness to say, okay, why am I feeling this way? What is behind my feelings? And I became really super dedicated to my internal life. And some of it was maddening at first because I was constantly thinking about what I was thinking about. Yes. Once you start to get, I was just going to say that once you start to get focused on, I have to be happier. I have to be happier. I have to be happier. Yeah, it'll elude you for a while. Uh, Completely. (laughs) I, I think there's, I was teaching my daughter something about this one time and I said, the best way to get rid of anxiety is to embrace it first. Embrace it, identify it, and embrace it. And say, yep. you know, I do this for a reason. And and it's it's not happenstance that I'm scared. And mm-hmm. um, and then, um, or anxious, or, you know, doomsaying and all this. You know, you develop these things as kids, usually. These patterns, your norm. And then then you can challenge it and say, you know what? Maybe I don't need it right now. Maybe I don't need to be frightened all the time. Maybe. Just that's where you start. And so you build context into your future. You say, what does the future actually look like right in front of me? And unless there's some real chaotic situation, maybe you can build a better day. And that's all you do. That's it. That's all you do. And suddenly you'll find you have a lot more control than you thought you did. And eventually that becomes your norm because you practice it day after day after day. And I've practiced the art of looking forward. I mean, I didn't have other people that were going to pick up the pieces in my life. Me Me neither. It was always up to me. Yeah. And I'm so blessed now that that was the case because it taught me that I looked out at my future and I said, holy shit, if I don't get this right, I'm going to be one miserable dude the rest of my life and I have to figure out a better way to live. So um, so just, just know that when you have a mood that hits you, it's only because you've been reminded of something. You've been reminded of this is how I react to maybe boredom. Maybe when I daydream, I go to a norm that is miserable. Because that's what you've practiced. Maybe you practiced it when you were eight years old and you were in a relationship with somebody that was molesting you. I mean, who the hell knows? I had things like that where my norm was protection. I'm going to protect myself at all costs, constantly fearful. And then eventually I realized I don't think I need that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, know, and even, I mean, there's just some days that, that, what I, I used to think of them because I, I had a bipolar diagnosis when I was 20. So, so I'm definitely much more even keel now than I ever was in my younger years. Um, but then there, there are just some days where I have a lot of energy and I feel like a million bucks. And then there are some days where I don't have as much energy and I can look at those days as, oh, those are my depressed days. Like if I frame them that way, then they become that. Um, or I can just look at them like, you know, I'm just, I'm just a little, little off today. And it's, it's not a catastrophe. It's, there's nothing bad happening. Um, it's a little bit lower energy. I don't, you know, I don't seek out instant relief from them. I just do, I just get through my day. I, you know, I, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe take a nap and, you know, re- refresh a little bit, like a 10 minute quickie, you know? So, so I just figure I've, I've figured out ways over the years, um, 
to to kind of I, I used to call it like when I had I'm going to say it when I had my PMS days years ago. I used to try and mitigate my, the damage that it would cause, you know, because I was just cranky and I had three sons. So I had four men in the house at any given moment in time. So I would usually just kind of hide out and do some laundry because that was comforting to me for some reason. And, um, and, and just ride it out. And, you know, you don't, just because you have a mood, it doesn't have to mean something. I guess that's what I'm saying. Sometimes if you look for a reason um, you create, you make it worse. It's a rumination on it instead of just saying, oh, I'm just a little bit off today. And, and then just, you know, doing things that are comforting to you that you enjoy. Anything that is comforting to you will bring you that comfort. Not, it's not the pharmacology of the substance. It's because it's an activity you enjoy. That's right. Does so, that make, I mean, am I making sense? Yeah, there? yeah, totally. So, so I think that a lot of times when people feel like their their mood is happening to them, I'm going to go back to where I started, how the how the mind works. It's in the pockets of boredom. It's in the pockets of vacuums in our thought process. So when you have activity, these, vacuums of activity. Yeah, right? that's a big one. That's a big one. Because yeah. in order to act in any way, you have to think. And in order to to act in some way, you have to proactively think because you're creating into the future, right? So when that slows down and sometimes you're just kind of sitting there, what happens? You'll sink back into your mood norm. And if your mood norm is, 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 down. is down and you're practiced at it, it's very, it's seamless. It's boom, you're there. Mm-hmm. And it feels like you just, it happened to you, but it didn't really happen. You chose to have this pocket, this vacuum in your activity level. And and this isn't always the case. My point is, it's when you feel like your emotions are running you. Or let's say there's a circumstance that in the past you felt completely powerless over. Maybe there were people in your life when you were a kid that r- rode dominion over you and it was really painful. I had a lot of that. I have 11 old, older siblings. I was the last in the pile. So I always perpetually felt like I was behind and being beat on because I was. <laughs> and and so... So anytime I, at 19, 20, 25, 30, I encountered something that reminded me about that, or I was daydreaming about something. I can remember I would be jogging sometimes. I was a runner for years, for like 10 years. And I would have memories. Something would trip a memory. I'd have a cue and it would remind me of something. I would find myself sprinting in anger, you know, and then I go, whoa, 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 what is this? This, I'm literally creating a world in my head. I'm, I'm out in the countryside, the beautiful country, having a jog and, and I'm completely tense and freaked out. That's when I realized that my thought life was, was radical and that it had a radical amount of influence on the quality of my life. And I had to stop bringing the past into my present. Boy, I, I was a master at that shit. And you give me any type of conflict and I could conjure up Hmm. all those thoughts and, and that kind of negative energy. Um, here's what's interesting. Sometimes in, in my own little crazy world, I could make shit up and people would say something and I would react and they'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, <laughs> I mean, what, what was that? And I'd be like, you know what? I don't know what that was. Let, let me just back off 
And, you know, I was overly aggressive. I had a lot of problems with my wife in the beginning. She was like, dude, you, you are a volatile character. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I had to train myself not to react. Yeah. To step Defensively. Back. Yeah. And yeah. 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 So, so there, it, it, moods feel like they hit you out of the blue, but there, you know, sometimes I just let them be and I don't look for a reason um, because, because I, I did, I was somebody that had a propensity to go to the negative and even in future, like, I'm, you know, I can imagine a worst case scenario. And I used to think it was absolutely going to happen. Um, I had to get over that before my kids started driving because, or else I would have never slept. Um, yeah. and you just, it's nobody can be happy all the time, but at the same token, the reason we talk about that in chapter 18 is to debunk the idea that you need substances to, to solve these things or to make you feel happier. Yeah. Um, cause it's not the substances that are doing it for you. You've been doing it all along. Yeah. So you've been, you've been conjuring up happiness with an active placebo, with a physical buzz, right? How you interpret that. Yeah. And, uh, and that's good news. It and is. I can tell you that, that tells you that even with a saturated brain, a, a processor that's all screwed up, that you're still your mind is still at work creating your own environment, your own internal world. So if if your mind can supersede a drunk body and conjure up all kinds of fantasy, um, then certainly when you're sober and you have a processor that's clean, you can certainly overcome a bad mood that you're creating. See, we're always creating. Yes. Our mind is creating your That's own world. Point. Yep. Yeah. So so you're literally whatever you think is what you are because you are your thoughts. Think about it. Without thoughts, what are you? You don't exist. Yes. You wouldn't even exist. That's how important your thoughts are. So, but back to a point Michelle made, and that is don't make yourself crazy with this. It's it's just embrace what what's happening in the present. Look at it and go, does this serve me? Yes. And maybe I can think something better today because right now in this present moment, I can change what I think. Yes. And then you do that enough and your norm, your mood norm will change. It'll go up the scale. I'm at a point now where I've mastered it enough that even when bad shit happens, I'm thinking of solutions most of the time. Me too. And boy, does that help in life. Oh my God. Immensely, especially the older you get. Yeah. You know, the more, more stuff you have to deal with. Um, and look at if you, I highly recommend if you haven't read it, reading man's search for meaning. It's such a good book. Changed my life. One, just one of the many books that changed my life, but I think it's a must read for everyone. I do too. I think it's one of the most important books written in the last hundred years because it's such a profound example of the control we have within our mind. Yeah. It is. So I think that's a, it's a good place to end it. Thank you so much for the great discussion in the freedom model group. So if you're, if you're listening to the podcast and you're not a member, um, it's a face private Facebook group, um, that you can go on and discuss the freedom model. That's, that's the purpose of the group. Um, we have some wonderful members who are very well read in the freedom model. Um, and we get some really thoughtful discussions about the book on there. It's, it's a, I think it's a tremendous, um, help for a lot of people who are just trying to get through the freedom model and, and figure this stuff out. 
Yeah. And obviously we, we, the bookends of each podcast is we, we would like for you to be a part of the freedom model international membership. Yes. Um, and that's where you can get all of our programs with Michelle and I teaching you them, uh, the online program, the family online program, all our books, audio books, everything. Workbooks, everything, everything for thirty nine ninety five a month, you can join and then you can cancel at any time, uh, no nonsense, and you you can learn the freedom model and learn to be free and move on with your life without meetings, without rehabs, without all the nonsense and bullshit. Yeah, and we have at the end of every month, the last Wednesday of every month, um, for two hours, Mark and I do a basically a discussion class with members only. The last one was phenomenal. Yeah, um, we had a I don't know probably a half a dozen members um, who each got their opportunity to talk with us directly during. Yeah, it was so fun! It was a lot of fun. It's classes. We get to do classes with. Yep. You. Yeah. And, um, and I, if you didn't get a chance to see it, you can, you can, as long as you have a membership, you can go on and, and watch us and listen to our, our, you know, past classes. Um, we've had two so far. We had, uh, one in April and one in May, um, which we just did. It was last week. And, you know, I can't talk about it enough. Um, because it's, it's real people asking questions who are working through the freedom model and, and figuring out how they can be happier with substances or without them. Also within that membership, you'll get a newsletter, the monthly newsletter, you'll, which is informative. Um, you'll also get, uh, what were the other things? Oh, the, the, what we've learned. Oh, new video every week, a new video lesson every week. They're usually not too long, maybe five, five to 10 minutes long. Um, and it's from each of our, uh, private and our instructors and Mark and I each do one about Mm -hmm. once every five weeks or so. Um, and, but every single week there's a new lesson. Yeah. So it's, it's really great. So thanks everybody for uh, go to online.thefreedommodel.org. Online.thefreedommodel.org. And if you're struggling and you want to talk to somebody, you can always call us at 888-424-2626. 888-424-2626. If you're watching on YouTube, it's at the top uh, corner of your screen. All right. All right. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye.